local church community that I was really a part of in my life, they, at, at the end of the school year, they decided that they were going to do a fast, a corporate fast. And uh, that was new territory for me. I had heard of fasting, but in my upbringing as a Roman Catholic, it, we fasted meat on Friday. Yeah, we ate fish every Friday, exactly. And, um, you know, I mean, I, I certainly didn't know, like, actually not eating food as a way of, of, uh, of consecrating myself more fully to God and, and hungering for him and, and, and that kind of thing. And so, but I was there to learn. I was, whatever the church was doing, I was going to learn and receive. So I got into it, and, and they had said that uh, to identify some specific areas of hunger in your life as you go into this fast— and so my campus pastor, uh, during this time, again, it was the end of the school year, campus pastor was saying that every school year, the same thing happens. The school year ends, everybody goes home for the, for the summer break, and they're gone for a couple months, and then when they come back, inevitably, there's like a handful of people who were like on fire for Jesus, and then when they return back to uh, the campus They've been with their high school friends, they've done whatever, they've been unplugged from church, and then they're like distant. And he says, I see them on the campus, and they're like trying to avoid me, and he says, they backslide. They, they walk away, they, they go back into the world, and, and that whole thing. And so when he, when he said that, I was thinking, oh my gosh, when I go back to Atlanta, where I'm from, I don't know any, I don't know any like born-again Christians there. And all my friends are like party animals. Like, I am the target for what he just described. And that put the fear of God in me. And so I identified three things going into this fast. One, for divine protection over my summer. That somehow God would not only use it to protect me from backsliding, but that I would actually get closer to him. Two, I was beginning to deal with this kind of sexual pornography addiction thing that I've talked about often. And uh, so that God would help me with that, that I would get breakthrough in that. And then three... I realized that my parents had never experienced this newfound faith that I had. And I was aware, I'm born again. Like, I, God has done something to me, and he has, it has not happened in their lives. I want to be with them after I die. I don't want to see them not go where I'm going. And uh, that, that, that had a big impact. So I fasted these three particular areas that I had weighing on my heart. And... Um, and then came the day of the fast, and I, I remember I was in my dorm room, and I began to pray over the, these particular areas, and it was just like with the connection to, with, of God, even like this sexual thing, it was like I began as I fasted, it's like the idea of fasting, the purpose of fasting began to drop into my heart in a way that it never had, and I, and I understood this overwhelming physical hunger. And if you've ever, if you've never fasted, let me warn you now, the first time you fast, it's going to be the worst. So overwhelm, especially if you're like me, because I love me some food in a serious way. And there are ways of approaching a fast to prepare your body for it that I didn't know about. So I just ate like I normally did right up to the fast, and then my body was like, I was like hungry. But I was identifying the whole thing is that I am experiencing this physical hunger, and yet I'm not giving, I'm not caving into that physical hunger because I'm making a declaration to myself, to my soul, that I'm actually hungrier for more of him than I am even, even for physical food. And there is something of an alignment of your life that happens through fasting where you, you establish in your heart my spirit comes before my soul and my body. It's an alignment. Anybody ever been to a chiropractor and you get aligned? Actually, I never have, but I understand that it happens. It's an alignment. Uh, spirit Fasting is an alignment. That uh, summer, or right after that fast, I get a call from my parents, and they tell me, you know what? You got a speeding ticket about 12 months ago, and that speeding ticket has now come to our insurance, and our insurance policy has gone way up. We are not going to pay this premium. I'm afraid, son, we're going to take uh, your car away and we're going to take you off of our policy. And I remember in that moment, I was like, I was so ready to be like, say into the phone things that came out of the netherworld. <laughs> and something happened in my spirit 
where I just knew, trust me. And so I just was like, cool. I, okay, mom. I, I don't understand how, I mean, this is going to not be good for my life. I trust you. When I went home for the, for the break during summer, I didn't have a car. And that meant my social world depended on other people picking me up and taking me. And when that, uh, the net result is that my friends began to see I'm different. I'm not getting drunk. I'm not getting high anymore. And it just kind of happened that it fizzled out. They weren't really picking me up. The end result is that I spent that summer. Now, uh, please hear me. I'm not suggesting that we all become social hermits and we don't have a social life, okay? But I spent that summer, rather than connecting with people, I spent that summer connecting for hours, learning how to find the presence of God and learning how to feast from the word of God to feed my spirit. I grew so close to God that by the end of the summer, rather than backsliding, I came back like completely reformed in a good way. And it was months later that I met the woman that would become my wife. And I know God was doing a work to prepare me for her and all that. That came from fasting. I, during that summer, even though it was a long process of breaking this kind of pornography addiction and, and, and sexual immorality and renewing my mind and thinking differently and all, it was a long process, I made huge headway that summer. And I remember, I can still remember fasting all the way back in that, that time that I said, my dormitory. I can remember as I began to pray over this sexuality thing, it's like, Something lifted where I began to see, rather than seeing this giant called sexual lust and me being this little midget that didn't even know how to fight it, I began to realize beyond that giant, there's freedom. And there's one behind me that's bigger than this giant. Yes. And I began to just sense in my spirit. I didn't see anything with my eyes. I just knew it. You know what I'm saying? And I, and I began to celebrate victory knowing that I have victory even if I'm not experiencing yet. And I actually began to dance for the first time. Now, you may think, oh, that's you, Paul. You, you, yeah, it's just the way. No, no, no. I, I'm not a dancer. I began to celebrate victory, and I learned so much about celebrating the victory that God has given me before I actually see it, all starting in that fast. And, and you know, a lot of you know the story. I wound up freedom in that area of my life. And then uh, thirdly, because I didn't have a car, when I went to church, with my parents, as they would, their Catholic church, I saw in the bulletin, they took me to church, and I saw in the bulletin, you know, a lot of churches have bulletins, and there was this charismatic prayer group. I was like, what? Like, people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, wanting to pray, and I, I thought, this is amazing. So I asked my parents, would you, I don't have a car, would you take me? And my parents, like, took me on this Wednesday night to, to go pray with these charismatic Catholics, and they took, went to the parking lot, and I remember I was getting out of the car, it was the most awkward thing. It was like they realized we're dropping our son off to go to a prayer group that we're not going to. And so I could tell they were like, you know, should we go? I don't know. Should we go? I guess we probably should go. And so we all end up going into the thing. My parents, that summer, because of that group, wound up, my mom got totally saved, filled with the Holy Spirit. And that started a journey of my dad, of a long journey of becoming more and more deeply involved and understanding more and more of Jesus uh, all of that happened, and I want to point out that happened because a boy, a young man, fasted and prayed and sought God. And you know what? I didn't even make it that day through the fast. There was some dude who knocked on my door at around 7 and said, hey, man, do you want to eat? And I caved in. <laughs> I'm, I'm just like dousing us with the grace of God. Like, this is not about perfection. I'm not suggesting that you cave in. Please hear me. And, and I've caved in other times and it hasn't been good, you know. Uh, but what I am saying is this is about, just a couple thoughts on, on fasting. This is about um, identifying targets of hunger. You identify targets of hunger. I had those three areas. What are your areas? Where do you need to see breakthrough? What, what is God leading you into that feels like you're facing a giant but there's something in your heart that says, God is leading me here. Rather than running from it, rather than excusing it, why don't we pray and fast and seek God for power that's bigger than ourselves to take it on? Yeah. You're going to see breakthrough, by the way. 
If, if you do the thing right, if you make it not about food, but make it about him, you see breakthrough. And uh, the point is to align your spiritual hunger over your physical hunger. That's the way we're supposed to live. That's the way we can live. Fasting is this like car tune-up that helps us to actually click into gear and actually live that way. So the fast, it's not about the fast itself. It's about life after the fast. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's not about like the fast is over. Woohoo! Let's go to KFC. It's about I want to go from that place living in a space where I, my soul knows my hunger for him is greater than any physical need that I have. I want to, I want you. I hunger and thirst after you. And then um, I would just say on a practical note, go easy on your digestive system the day before the fast. So don't eat saturated fat. Like eat clean, easily digested, highly fibrous, high fiber foods. So fruits, vegetables, salads, soups, things that are easily digested, it's going to be way easier on the next day. And um, avoid junk food, avoid grease, avoid saturated fats, avoid all that kind of stuff the day before you fast. And drink plenty of water the day before and during. And if you decide to not drink coffee on the day of the fast, taper off today. <laughs> Begin tapering off today, honestly, so that by Wednesday you're not hit with overwhelming coffee withdrawal headaches. Uh, because that kills a fast. As spiritual as we want to make it, sometimes people cannot fast because they're toast. <laughs> and so just prepare your body to be able to do it. And if you're addicted to coffee, shame on you. And welcome to the club. Anyways. <laughs> so, um, Rodney, would you mind uh, sharing? Is this on? If, could we unmute this? Yeah. Or, one, or this one? Or? Okay. Yeah, just uh, a few sentences from Derek Prince, who, who just has written extensively on fasting. He says, Our bodies, with their physical organs and appetites, make wonderful servants, but terrible masters. <laughs> Thus, it is necessary to keep them always in subjection. Fasting deals with the two great barriers to the Holy Spirit, that are erected by man's carnal nature. These are the stubborn self-will of the soul and the insistent self-gratifying appetites of the body. Rightly practiced, mm. fasting helps bring both soul and body into subjection to the Holy Spirit. That's excellent. So, um, Lisa Bevere, some of you know who she is. She's, a, she's written some amazing books. Uh, she's been a profound influence in, in, in our life. Um, I, I, what do you call her? Like a preacher? I don't know. Anyways, speaker, yeah, Bible teacher. Uh, she uh, is on this fasting kick at the moment, coincidentally. And she tweeted, and I'll read it, fasting is not about food. It is about separation. This separation represents a consecration to the Lord, a change in our relationship with him. And then, uh, so Minda forwarded that to me. I was like, wow, that's really amazing. Now, what, we've, what I've been going through, and I'm about to share some stuff, just sharing out of my heart about what I'm sensing for me and for us, moving into this next season, 2019, this beginning season, and I'm trusting that God's going to use it the next couple minutes. But what I've been sensing is that there is a shift happening. Uh, 2018, for me, especially the second half of this past year, was very difficult. And there were, uh, it was like, you know, when it says in Psalms 23, even, when I, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. That's what the second half of 2018 was like for me. It was the, and many others in this church, and there is no coincidence in that. I have had such a strong sense that God did a work. It's like in walking through that space, I had either the option of going my way or trusting God in it and finding him in it. 
And I've, I've learned such wonderful things, was brought through such wonderful things, just kind of like, if you will, Jesus, when he went into the wilderness, right after he was baptized, he went into the wilderness and he did what? Fasted. And the devil tempted him in that place. And we said last month, last month, last Sunday, that that, that season before being released in the power of the Holy Spirit to impact society, that God will bring you through a season where you're tempted of the devil so that you deal with things internally and seek and find through the word of God victory internally so that then he releases you into society to fight those same demons externally, but now it's for the freeing of other people and not yourself. I know that I have walked through some things in the last half of this past year that were things that are pertinent to this particular city. Bondages, I might even want to name them. Can I just go ahead and name them? I I like to err on the side of just being vulnerable and real. Despair, hopelessness, a spirit of poverty, and, um, and depression. I mean, clupped me upside the head. And it went through valley, like, but in the, in the midst of that, it learned to celebrate, it, it's to, to celebrate and to worship, just like that picture that we've often spoken of, of the funeral, where one woman begins to, oddly enough, begins to dance and celebrate, and that celebration actually causes the dead body to arise, and then everyone at the funeral begins to celebrate. Yes. And it has to start with the one. That you, you go through the funeral, if you will, but you learn to celebrate God and trust in him no matter how bad things look, you celebrate him and eventually it brings resurrection life. And when the resurrection life happens, everybody begins to take note and begins to celebrate and God wants Detroit to be celebrating because of the goodness of God, but it starts with his followers having something done on the inside before it becomes on display to the outside and your freedom becomes their freedom. Your victory becomes their victory. You follow? And so Lisa Bevere also tweeted this week, last year's struggle is for this year's strength. The wrestling of last year was to prepare you for the win this year. Struggle is strengthening. Grow forward. Don't shrink back into the shadows of 2018. Step into the light of 2019. And I have such a sense in my spirit. Go ahead and clap. I'm at school. (laughs) I have such a sense in my spirit that we are crossing a river. Metaphorically speaking, we're just like Israel crossed from 40 years in the wilderness of being tested and being tried and proven and to know that man does not live by bread alone, fasting, but lives by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. They crossed a river never to look back into that wilderness season and to inherit a land that God had promised. That land, when they went across, was filled with giants. It was filled with stuff that they didn't think in their natural strength they would be able to conquer. And yet, when they crossed that river, they did it saying, I know that I know God has said to do this. And even though it looks like certainty of death, I'm going. Because my God is with me. And so what we're looking at over this month is not just, we're, we're, we're crossing a river, And we're talking about this month and looking at, I believe God is speaking to us about actually possessing the land that God has given to us and what that's going to look like. This month of fasting is all about crossing that river and consecrating our hearts to where when we cross over that river, you understand what I mean by crossing over the river? We're not actually crossing the Detroit River. We might, actually. (laughs) I mean, I think God is calling us to have an inheritance and an impact in Canada. That's cool. But I'm talking about crossing a river in your heart where you're no longer identifying with wilderness. This is not my home. I'm not staying here, even if it's comfortable. I at least know manna is coming down from heaven every day, and I know where my food source is coming from. Go into this other place, I don't know, but you know what I do know? I know him. And I'm crossing a river of no turning back. So we're looking 
into this upcoming year, and I want to say again those five visionary points and purpose up there that I believe that God is saying specifically to us and giving us to do this year. Number one, if we could get that up there, I don't know if you can. Every member of Border City Church giving and receiving life-giving discipleship. That's the first visionary point or purpose point. Every person who feels as though or would say that they are a disciple of Jesus in this church, that they are receiving discipleship, and that they're involved in giving discipleship to others. And we're going to talk about that later uh, in just a minute. Secondarily, develop our present spheres of influence. I mentioned Detroit Rescue Mission Ministries, Durfee Elementary Middle School. We want to take what we're doing there and take it to the next level this year of impact and influence for the kingdom of heaven. Thirdly, we want to break into new spheres of influence. That in a sense, Durfee and and DRMM represent uh, kind of down and out and kind of hurting and, and that kind of thing. There are other spheres of society in Detroit that God wants to reach. And just like we prayed for doors to open up last year, and those two doors I just mentioned opened up, we're beginning this year praying for God to open up new spheres, new doors, and he's going to. Fourthly, is we are trusting because the ministry of Jesus, I don't know if it's the right way to, it wasn't contingent upon, it were based upon, the ministry of Jesus to impact people was fueled with the supernatural. That's not something that we just get hyped up about and excited about. That's something we have to see. The people of Detroit have to see. That this Jesus that we serve is not a religious, like, figure. He is alive and he's powerful. He heals and he's good. Nothing says that like a, like a miracle. So we want to see a release of the prophetic and healings so on and so forth, demonstrations of his power and glory that testify to Detroit and to the nations of his goodness. And then fifthly, we want to see new followers of Jesus, people who have not identified as being a follower of Jesus, becoming a follower of Jesus. How does that happen? By doing the first four things. By involving ourselves in in those first four things. This is a picture, I believe, of the promised land that we, as a local church, are walking into. And so I want to look at Joshua 1. I read the entirety of the book of Joshua. I wanted to talk about all the things that I got out of that, lessons that I learned about inheriting the promised land out of that, and all I'm going to do is a couple verses out of the first chapter. It's so good, but uh, do you mind if we pray as we get into it? I just want to, I feel like I'm kind of standing here in fear and trembling because I know how important what it is that I'm talking about is, but I also feel (laughs) kind of out of my depth in a sense. And uh, more importantly, we all want to hear him speak. So Lord, just we we thank you that this is your word. And we want to honor this isn't just a sermon. This is something you have spoken. And uh, as we look at this, Lord, we pray that you would deposit something in our hearts that would that would uh, change us, and, but that would grow from us to, to have an impact on other people. That they would see you and know you, and they would bend their knees and declare you as who you are, to be Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. So the two ideas are this. God calls us to impact certain spheres of influence, There's probably three ideas. Uh, God calls us to impact certain spheres of influence. God also calls us to, to, to cross over that river and to have that impact and to walk in these things. We have to be strong and courageous. We'll read that in Joshua chapter 1 just now. You can go ahead and open up there if you have got a Bible just to get us started. To be strong and courageous And I'll explain what that means. And thirdly, the whole thing of the promised land, walking in a world that looks like this, in a dimension of life that looks like that, the whole of it is living by what God has said. And if we think we're just going to go charging into God's promised land without having his word 
in our hearts, we are fooling ourselves. So to become people of depending on who, like it says in the wilderness, they learned in the wilderness that man does not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, that is, how we, that is what the promised land looks like. So if you'll look with me, Joshua chapter 1, the background is this. They've been wandering in the wilderness because of unbelief for 40 years. For the first two years of wandering in the wilderness, many of you know the story, Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt. They were in the wilderness. Within two years, they came up to the Jordan River. That's all it was, two years. That's actually a long time, but it's not that long. We're celebrating our two-year anniversary at the end of this month, by the way, as a church. That's probably a prophetic picture. Anyways, they were there for two years in the wilderness. They came up to the Jordan. They sent spies over into the promised land, 12 spies, Ten, two came back with a good report, said there are giants in this land, but our God's with us and we can take it. And the land is flowing with milk and honey and it's a good place. Ten of them said there are giants in this land, let's stay in the wilderness. They're huge and we're like grasshoppers in their sight. And everyone, when they heard the report of the ten, the whole nation came under a spirit of fear and said, no way, Jose, we are staying here. And you know what happened as a result? That two years turned into 38 more years, a total of 40 years that God said, you doubted me, you haven't believed what I said, and therefore you can't cross over into the promised land. Let's not be them. This crossing over that we feel right now, it's the same thing. It's going to feel like taking on something way over us. It's going to feel like stepping into death and trusting only in God. God, if you don't come through, we're toast. That's what it's going to feel like. But the, uh, the reality is, is that they, at the end of 40 years, a new generation came up, which brings us to this chapter right here. Moses was passing away. The whole first generation was passing away. And a second generation that would follow God rose up. Joshua chapter 1, verse 1, it says, After the death of Moses... The servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your place, uh, excuse me, your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. Hear this. And as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it, and then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. First point, God calls us to impact spheres of influence. I want you to look back at that fourth verse with me, and let's read that again. It says, your territory will extend, and then he lists very specific coordinates of this territory. From the desert to Lebanon, from the great river Euphrates all the way to the Hittite, uh, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. Very specific coordinates. Now, in the uh, <clears throat> Old Testament, we have to understand that the Old Testament, before Jesus, that part of the Bible that comes before the Gospels, right? Old Testament is a natural picture of things that have spiritual truth. So when we talk about going into a promised land that was a natural, physical, actual geographical land that represented a spiritual reality for us who are now in the new covenant. So in the Old Testament, when they went into this promised land, 
and put their actual feet on physical land and they fought battles with actual physical people, let me, be assure, let me assure us that our calling is not to fight physical people as the people of God in the New Testament. The Bible says that the, we are in a battle, but it says that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not natural, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And we take into uh, captivity every thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of God or Jesus. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, we're, so the Old Testament is a natural picture. It's a natural law that God gave to his people. Physical do's and don'ts, things that I do with my body or don't do with my body. The new covenant is spiritual. It's, a, it's not a law. It's not what I do and don't do with my physical body. It's having a spiritual connection with God. And everything that we see, the temple in the Old Testament, the, the promised land, all of that is, a, is, a, is a, a prophetic picture demonstrating a spiritual reality. And when God gives coordinates to his people in actual territory, that corresponds in the New Testament to something of the purpose of God and the promise of land, promise promised land for the church. And it's not physical land, it's about people. And God calls us to reach spheres of influence in this earth. There is a call to the church, capital C, body of Christ, that is to preach the gospel and make disciples in all the nations of the earth. Every, so the church has a call, has a sphere, and then the church is made up of local churches. Thank you. Like this one here. That's <laughs> all right. <clears throat> and every local church has a sphere within the big global sphere. And then every member of every local church, you and me, have a sphere. And our calling is to, be, is to bring the kingdom of heaven, the person of Jesus into the spheres that he's called us to. That's the promised land. So let's look at this. <clears throat> people, what is a territory for us? It's people in your sphere of influence. So what is your sphere of influence? It could be your, it's your, it's your workplace, it's your neighborhood, it's any social network that you find yourself a part of. It's your, it's your, um, it's the club. It's a, the book club that you belong to. It's the Twitter group. I don't even know if there are Twitter groups. What? <laughs> Something. What? Facebook group. There we go. Yeah, that's much better. Thank you. Something that actually exists. That would help for a meaningful uh, presentation. It's a Facebook group. It's, it's any kind of assembling of people that you are naturally a part of in your own life. It's that, that that actually becomes penetrated, if you will, by the kingdom of heaven and the Jesus that's inside of you that he makes his way to beginning to impact like a virus into that area. That's the promised land. That's what that looks like. So if you'll look with me, to Mark 16, because I want to make sure that we understand this, pro this commission that God gave to the people of Israel to inherit a promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. There is a, a corresponding commission to the New Testament church, a land flowing with milk and honey, but it's not a physical land. It's a place of influence, ultimately, of this. We are populating heaven with the people of the earth, and we're populating the people of the earth with heaven. Yes. In the promised land, I think it really looks more like the latter part, that the people of, he of the earth are being populated with heaven. Right. Jesus dwelling inside of them, and heaven, the kingdom of God being inside of them, and that beginning to have an impact on this sphere of influence to where you're in this sphere, be it your neighborhood or your workplace, but now it's not only you, it's another person. And they're encountering Jesus. And now they, now the two of you are in this sphere together and you're wanting to see Jesus break out into others. Now it's a third and a fourth person. And before long you start to see the spheres of the earth being impacted with heaven. 
That is how this thing happens. If you look at me, Mark 16, Jesus says this to the church. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. So other translations, King James perhaps, says this, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And that used to bother me a little bit. I've talked about that before. Because if, if you look back at the original Greek word that's translated as creature and you look at it, it actually means creature. <laughs> and like, like, God, am I supposed to be preaching the gospel to cats and dogs? Like, what, what do you mean? Go into the world and preach it to... I'm cool with preaching to humans. Little uncomfortable preaching it to creatures. To the zoo or what have you. And so... Uh, if you dig further into the meaning of that word, yes, it means creature, but it means things like building, ordinance, institution. In other words, the idea that Jesus is using that word or being translated is this. It is every way that human beings assemble themselves together into some kind of a unit, into some kind of an institution. The gospel of the kingdom by the church is to go from us into that place so that the kingdom of God, which was not a part of that sphere, now has entered into that sphere. And there is a living testimony growing of the light of the kingdom of God, like an outpost of the kingdom of heaven is now resident in that place. I want my apartment building on Seward Street in, in Detroit to become a light that the people live there by virtue of me living there. Not that I'm cramming the gospel down people's throats, but doing what God's called us to do, to become a light, and for that to turn on other lights, like a candle lighting the end of another candle. One thing leads to another. Before long, society is being impacted and transformed because of what the church does. We could live in that, or we could just go about survival and go about our career, and we could do our own thing, and then go to Jesus when, he, when we die and Thanks. This is, what, this is why we are still on this earth. If we're not going to do this, it would be better to just go ahead and be with him. This is why we are on this earth. It's a promised land. So, you know, it's like the United States of America. We have, many of you know our history. This is a unique nation in that it wasn't built on on people of a same type, the same people who lived in the same area. It's a bunch of people from all over the place who came, mainly Europeans. And I know there are shady things in our past, but, but the, the idea was that it was a nation built on laws and a limitation of, of authority. And um, uh, there was no king. There was elected only representatives, and there was a limit and a balance of power. And and freedom being a, a huge uh, value worked into the, into the fabric of the thinking of, of America. And so when you, when you enter into America, if you've been to other nations as I have, there's a different vibe. Have you ever walked into a house and it's like you just, there's a vibe? Or you go into like a restaurant or a, a, some office space and there's like a vibe there. What is that? And you go into America and it's different. It's, there are thought patterns that are in the residence of that sphere that have been accepted by the majority of the people in that sphere and it creates an atmosphere. And it's, it's agreements that are made. They're not even conscious necessarily. It's agreements in the heart of people being connected together. And this is the sphere. And this is what Jesus was talking about when he said all creation. Because within even America, you've got individual states. And within our state, you've got our city. And within our city, you've got... Uh, Quicken Home Loans, and you've got Keller Williams Met Metro, and you've got, I don't know, you're in Pontiac, but whatever your the thing place you work at. <laughs> and then you've got, you've got uh, Durfee Elementary School. These are spheres. They're ways that people assemble together. They're connected, and all of us have a whole litany of spheres that we identify with and are a part of and the promised land is changing our posture to where we're not just a part of the sphere, we're on mission in the sphere. Not to overtake people. Gee, it's, it's, 
with the vision that we don't get the people, Jesus does. Now, the promised land was an inheritance. That was, it was the inheritance of the people of God, right? Psalms chapter 2, you don't need to turn there now, it says this, I will decree the, the decree of the Lord. The Lord said to me, you are my son. This is God the Father talking to Jesus the Son. You are my son. This day I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations as your inheritance, the uttermost parts of the earth for your possession. That scripture defines what the inheritance of Jesus is, does it not? The nations. And what are the nations? Is it the government of Germany and its people? In fact, that's what the word nations actually means in that, that original Hebrew language, is people. Ask of me, and I will give you the people of the earth as your inheritance. How does Jesus receive that inheritance? He went to a cross, right? And he died, and he went to heaven, so he's got his inheritance now, right? Go. Preach the gospel to all creation. He receives the inheritance that God has promised through the obedience of those who are following him. We become his inheritance, and as we yield ourselves to the one who has taken us, we become a source of influence into every sphere that we're called to so that he receives more and more of his inheritance. And the thing is, guys, what could Detroit look like? What could your neighborhood, what could your sphere look like if this was a reality? Does doubt and unbelief and fear and addiction and hopelessness and despair and poverty, do these things have to rule over the people that are around us? Jesus wants to liberate captives. And first we become liberated, but as we do, we become on mission to see and to fight for and to live for the liberation of every person that God entrusts to us within our coordinates, if you will. I will gladly walk through a season where I have to combat depression and despair and poverty if it means that through this I gain victory. And I can see you, spirit of poverty. I know you, and you have no part in me. You are, I'm not talking about how much money is in my bank account. I'm talking about my mindset and my heart. I do not agree with your lie. And I can help to liberate other people. Same thing with sexual addiction and what have you. Your faith, the faith that you have of encountering Jesus becomes like a divine virus. When I was uh, that freshman year in college, you know how I got involved in that church? Many of you do know this story, but bear with me quickly. How I got involved with that church led by one Rodney Lloyd is because there was a guy who, when I came back from my winter Christmas break, Uh, who lived next door to me in my dorm room, and I was sitting there bouncing a basketball, and I was talking to him. His name is Walter Bowden, and I was talking to him about all the parties I had gone to and the weed that I had smoked and whatever I had done and asking him, and he had also seen some people in doing this. I was like, oh, wow, did you get drunk? And he's like, no. And I was like, you didn't get drunk. What are you doing at a party then? He's like, like, why don't you drink? Why don't you get drunk anymore? He said, well, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And, uh, and he had no idea that I had gone through a year of a battle of having given my life to Jesus but living in compromise. He had no idea. He thought I was a total heathen that didn't even think about Jesus. And that was the tipping point. What's my point there? There was faith inside of Walter. And Walter opened his mouth. And that opening of his mouth was a tipping point in my life. We lived in that dormitory. It was called G56. I have no idea why the heck they called it G56, but that was what it was called. Across the the hallway was a guy named Philip Hutto. He had his girlfriend. His girlfriend would come and spend the night all the time. He had a stack of pornographic video cassettes because there was a time period, young people, where there was something called video cassettes. And, uh, and I, I mean, it was, like, weird. And he had all this stuff, and, and, and so he saw the transformation by virtue of living across the hallway from me. So now Walter, in the, in the dorm next to me, dorm room next to me, and I were there together, and Philip across the hallway is witnessing that transformation. Philip, 
the next year goes and lives in, within a townhouse with me and four other guys. And I don't know if Philip ever gave his life to the Lord, but I can say this. That one time, the following year, after seeing this transformation in my life, being a roommate, following, tracking my journey, I sat down at a table and had dinner with Philip and his girlfriend. And they just started to ask me questions about, what is this? And I began to talk. And as I began to talk about the encounter I had with Jesus, I remember tears streaming down her, his girlfriend's face. And, and she talked about how she used to be like me. She used to be in a church, and she wants to be like that again. Walter Bowden opened up his mouth. And that's just Philip. You know, there's so many other people. What I'm saying is, it's like a divine virus. The faith inside of you is like a divine virus that infiltrates and starts to impact other people. Do you know that you can be the same? Like you. Not you coming in and with your blades of glory saying, the chosen one has arrived with all my anointing. I'm talking about you. Jesus Christ was Jesus and Christ. Paul, the anointed one. Uh, Your name just (laughs) left me. Andrew, thank you. (laughs) Andrew, anointed of the Holy Spirit. Debbie, anointed of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Candace, thank you. When you don't, when you need the name, it doesn't come to you. (laughs) Anointed of the Holy Spirit. So just real quick, how can we walk in some of this? Just want to wrap this up. One, to walk in our promised land, for the children of Israel to cross over the Jordan and inherit that promised land, for us to inherit the promised land that we're to inherit, we have to embrace our identity. Embrace this as this is who we are. As long as this is like a nice message and wow, that's inspirational, Paul, man, that's really quite some some good nuggets of thought there. As long as it's that, you'll never, ever, ever walk into it. It's going to take a whole lot more than, hmm, wow, yeah, that's inspirational. It's going to be, this is what I am here for. I can't go to the right or to the left. I've got no other choice. This is what I'm pursuing for the love of people. Embracing your identity. And if you don't believe that it's your identity, Matthew 4.19, then he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. It's your identity. And then later he says in Acts 1.8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses. That's who you are. In Jerusalem, sphere, and in all Judea, bigger sphere, in Samaria, other sphere, and to the ends of the earth, sphere. You're my witness. That's who you are. In your job, you're a witness of Jesus. A light shining, an outpost of heaven to have an impact around other people. In your neighborhood, in your, it's all Jesus' pulpit, if you will. And then second and thirdly, I'll just say this very quickly. Be strong and courageous. I don't know if you noticed this, but when we read Joshua chapter 1, three times God repeats that same thing. Be strong and courageous. Strong, the original Hebrew word, means to be stronger. It means to be the overcoming one, the dominant one. In other words, if I was in a wrestling match with my friend Michael here, uh, and I'm not sure who would win, but, but if Michael and I were, if I, if I pinned him down and he was immovable, immobile, I would be the stronger one. That's the idea of that word there, to be stronger. And the thing is, when you're going into doing what we're talking about doing, there's something that you have to grapple with of I am not the weaker one. Though the, 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 the thing that I'm encountering, this addiction to pornography seems bigger than me, or the idea of sharing my faith seems bigger than me, I have to settle within myself. It's not. There is a God who said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, and he is the one who will see the victory in this place. Strong and and courageous, and in one place it says very courageous. The original Hebrew word there means to be steadfastly minded, that you, like a, a bulldog, if you've ever put like a rope in the mouth of a bulldog and you try to get that thing out, it's not going to happen. He's steadfastly minded. That thing is he's holding on to it. To go into the promised land and take the promised land, you have to be steadfastly minded. There are no other options. This place is mine. I am taking it. I hope you hear what I'm saying because I'm not talking about dominating people. I'm talking about people discovering him. 
and us serving and laying our life down for them. And then finally, and lastly, we'll wrap it up with this. If we want to have any hope, and we do have hope, it's in that uh, seventh verse, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave to you. Do not turn from it to the right or the left that you may be successful wherever you go. What is success contingent upon? Obeying his word. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. In other words, it's not even just your meditation. It's even on your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. The promised land, my friends, in the natural picture of Israel, the idea, it was never fulfilled, but the idea was that there would be a nation that would be totally yielded to God's law. And that they would walk in it like a light to shine to all other nations so that people could see what God was like. In the New Testament, in our promised land, it's that there would be a church that would be growing exponentially as other people, as the church lives on mission and other people are more and more discovering Jesus and encountering him and they're living on this earth according to what God says from heaven. The law is not, the book of the law, it's not about us obeying the word of God and, uh, like a law. It's about us having a relationship where we're hearing God. And the promised land is for the church to be a beacon of the light of the kingdom of heaven in this darkened and fallen world. That's what it is. And if we think that we're going to walk into our promised land and we don't even crack open our Bibles, seriously. And so it's not about duty. It's not about, it's about, I, I, I don't do this out of a sense of duty. I, I'm reading the scripture because I desperately need to hear my father. And so as we prepare for our promised land, I would say be strong and courageous I would say to let's categorize and consider what are our spheres of influence. Where has God placed me? What are the doors around me? Start to imagine with the eye of faith particular individuals in that sphere coming to Jesus and being encountered, encountering him. And then thirdly, let's be people of the word of God seeking God's word to us. I would suggest having some kind of a, like I wake up every morning, it's the first thing I do. I get coffee. Priorities. I get my coffee and I go back onto my bed and I've got some portion of scripture that I'm reading. I've got always something that I'm reading and then I've got a whole, like a little system that I do of, of how I meditate on it and I get stuff from it all the time, even this morning. Wonderful. So hearing and presencing ourselves to hear what God is saying, it fuels us and gives us what we need to be able to walk into the promised land. Shall we?